Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in the book of Numbers. You may be seated. We begin today with a word of prayer. Almighty Father, we give you thanks for bringing us once again into a new year. Lord, a new year to receive your blessings, to sing your praises, and to follow your will. We pray this day, O Lord, that as we hear your word, you would grant us your Holy Spirit to sustain us in our faith not only this day, but throughout the year and through the rest of our lives. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, once again, happy new year. I do hope uh, you did get a couple of minutes of sleep last night before you came uh, into church. And I do hope you had a fun evening ringing in the new year. I was in bed myself by 10.30, which was a little later than I even wanted last night. But nonetheless, uh, I, I still had a, a decently fun time. Uh, but you know, coming into a new year, it's always kind of an interesting thing. What I've noticed a lot more over the past couple of years when it comes to this day is the way people react to the last year and look forward to the new year is very interesting. I tend to notice a lot how as people look back on the past year, they leave it behind with a sort of pessimism or, or irritation or frustration. Good riddance, 2022. It's time for a new year. And then people look forward with the sort of sense of optimism and sort of blind hope. 2023, that's going to be my year. Though I will say, over after the last couple of years, I noticed that this optimism is a little bit more tempered than it used to be. But I wonder, what is it for you? How do you think about the last year? Was it a good year for you? Was it a bad year for you? Are you glad it's over? Did you have some good things and some bad things? That's probably kind of how it went. And what are you thinking about the new year? Are you excited for it? Is it just going to be more of the same? Uh, are you kind of cynical going into it? I actually think that both optimism and pessimism are not really the appropriate attitudes for us to have as Christians as we look forward to the new year. Now, follow me on this, at least when it comes to optimism. Optimism and a positive attitude, these are not necessarily bad things. Of course it's good to have a positive attitude. But sometimes when it comes to optimism, our optimism tends to be blind. We look at the new year and we say, this is going to be my year. This is the year where I'm going to conquer all of my struggles. I'm going to fix all of my problems. This is going to be my year. Everything's going to go my way. It's kind of the attitude we have when we start setting New Year's resolutions, right? Like you set a resolution and you're like, all right, this year I'm working out four days every week. And then it's like the third week of January. And you're like, I'm going to work out like twice a week. And then it's March and you're like, I might work out this year. It's going to be great. I might get there once or maybe even twice, but that's being generous. This false sense of optimism makes you think you're going to conquer the world. And then it just doesn't happen. And it leaves you a little bit deflated and, and depressed. And oftentimes this leads to a sort of pessimism, a negative outlook on life. Where you look at the next year and you assume things are just going to go wrong. It's just going to go badly. Uh, this year and you not only expect it to go that way because this is your attitude you start to look for the negative you start to look for the things that make you pessimistic and it becomes sort of this self-fulfilling negative life things go badly just like you thought they would that's what you expect but i don't think optimism or pessimism are really appropriate for us as christians see in both cases the problem here 
is that you think you kind of know what the future holds. You think you know what's coming your way. You think you can sort of see what's next. And that leads to disappointment, because it never goes the way we think it's going to go. That leads to fear and frustration. The reality is, we have no idea what will happen in the next year. James, the book of James, says it this way. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. I remember uh, at the beginning of 2020, you guys may remember that year, uh, 2020, we were coming into that year, and uh, Pastor Matt and I were talking, and he said, you know, it's been kind of a crazy few years here at Community Lutheran Church. I think things are finally going to settle down and be normal around here. He was wrong, uh, as it turned out. 2020 was, uh, was kind of a funny year. But recognizing this, you don't really know what's going to happen next. And this causes fear because we like to control. We like to be in control of what's coming our way. We like to be in charge of our lives. We want to control our destiny. We just want to control our schedules. And clearly, that doesn't work. And so to this problem, Jesus says this. Don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, these are good words from Jesus, so they are kind of hard words. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. And you're like, okay, he's going to tell me not to worry about tomorrow because there's going to be some comforting line coming next, right? And he says, no, don't worry about tomorrow. You've got a lot to worry about right now. <laughs> worry about today. And so now I'm anxious about what's going on uh, today. <laughs> I don't think that's Jesus' whole point, though, obviously. Uh, I think Jesus here is sort of helping us with the way we view the world. And he's stopping us from having blind optimism or sort of cynical pessimism. What he's reminding us here of to sort of temper our optimism, he reminds us of this truth, that this world is tough. It is a hard world, and it is full of trouble. Today is filled with anxiety. There is hardship, and there is difficulty. That is the reality we face in this sin-torn world. And I can tell you this much about 2023. I don't know what's going to happen, but there will be troubles. There will be troubles in the world. There will be troubles in your own life. You will still be bothered and attacked by temptation and your own sins. There will be failures at the struggles that you face. You will face in this next year sickness and disease. You will be confronted in one way or another by the reality of death. And as we look at the news headlines and we look at the direction that the world is going, I think it's fair to say we're not moving in a particularly comforting direction. And even if we do find here and there a few small moral victories, it's not going to lead to righteousness in this world. Nothing will except for Jesus. You see, Jesus comes to us today with these words, and we remember that Jesus never lies. And so when he says to us, in this world you will have trouble, he is being good to us to tell us the truth so that we can face the world with a realistic perspective. Not with blind optimism, everything's just going to be great but understanding the reality of the world in which we live. But notice here with the Lord, this never leads to sort of cynicism or pessimism or to like this unnecessarily negative attitude. 
For the Lord reminds us today that though the world is falling apart, and though you cannot control what's going on around you, and though your life is beset by sin and temptation, and it looks like everything might be crumbling at the seams, there is one thing that remains the same forever for you. And that is the Word of God. That is the promises of Jesus Christ. Listen to how St. Peter says it in his letter. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And Peter says, this is the good news. This word is the good news that was preached to you. This word that remains forever is the good news that was preached to you. Preached to you in a world of sin and struggle, wars and rumors of wars, trials and temptations. You have a word from God that cannot be overcome. And this is the good news, Peter says, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, rose again for salvation, and you are forgiven. And you sit beneath the glorious promises of the eternal favor of God towards you. This is why I love that today in our reading from the Old Testament, we were given the reading from Numbers. That reading from Numbers should have sounded familiar to you. It's a, it's a word that's preached to you at the end of every single service. We call it the great benediction. Benediction is a big Latin, fancy Latin way of saying a good word. It's, it's this wonderful word, this wonderful blessing that God gave to his people, the Israelites, as they were wandering through the wilderness roughly 3,000 years ago. Now you want to think about a word that endures. This is a word that God spoke to those people and has continued to speak over his people for 3,000 years. It's marvelous to me to think about this, that we say it at the end of our service, and in this sense, it unites us to those people as they were wandering those 40 years in the wilderness, those Israelites. We are one with them because we have the same God who continues to speak over us the same gifting word, the same gift, the same promise. To all of the people of God, he says, this is what I want you to say. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace. Then I love the way uh, that, that God closes out these gift words to Moses. This is what he says to Moses. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. And I will bless them. Put the name on the Israel. And he doesn't do it while the Israelites are sort of conquering everything. And everything's going great for them. Like they earned this name. It's not how it works. If you ever read through the book of Numbers, Numbers is a tough book. And it's a tough book for a number of reasons. One, it's because there's like a lot of genealogy and that gets a little bit boring after a while. But also, the accounts of what's going on in the history of Israel are very difficult to deal with. It's in this book where you watch God's people rebel against him and against his messengers constantly. You see in this book uh, the, the, the uh, people attacking God's people, uh, nations trying all they can to curse the people of God. We even see Moses in this book be swollen with pride so that he sort of tries to bring glory to himself and is told he cannot ever enter into the promised land. It's a world of, of sin and struggle, attacks from within and without. Even the, even the clergy are kind of falling apart here. And it's to the midst of this world 
that God comes to these Israelites and gives them his gospel, gives them this word of blessing, and he says, and I'm going to put my name on them. Now, to think about this, in the Old Testament, the name of God is the equivalent of the gracious presence of God. So what God is saying is, by putting my name on these people, I am committing myself to these people. I'm promising to be in favor of these people. I'm promising to forgive their sins and carry them all the way into the promised land. You'll see this throughout the Old Testament a number of times where God's like putting his name on something to let people know that his gracious presence is there. Like, uh, remember King Solomon. Solomon built this, this temple for God. And God says, this temple is a house for my name. So that as people knew when they saw that temple, when they looked to that temple, God was there for them, for the forgiveness of their sins, preparing them for the coming Messiah. And then that Messiah comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And we heard today how Jesus was given a name at his circumcision with our very long gospel reading this morning in which we heard Jesus being named Jesus, this name that means God saves us. Further, and we'll see this uh, later on with the baptism of Jesus. He comes up out of the water and the Father says, This is my Son. Listen to him. Jesus comes in the name of God. God's name is on him. He comes to be God's gracious presence amongst us. The Word, as John says, becomes flesh and dwells among us. He is God's presence in our world. And what did he come to do? To fulfill the great benediction. To bless us and keep us by living the perfect life in our place and giving us the credit for his righteousness. His face shines upon us as he graciously forgives us for all of our sins. His countenance is lifted up upon you and me as he is lifted up on the cross and pays the penalty that all of our sins deserve. And his peace is granted to us as he walks out of the tomb that Easter morning, proclaiming to us and to the world that through his dying we have been reconciled to God. We are at peace with the God who created all things. And then this Jesus, who has done all of this for our sake, comes to us in the waters of baptism. And there, just as Rachel did so perfectly in our children's message today, very nicely done today, just as we saw in the children's message today, he puts his name on us. Jesus made sure you were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which means that God's gracious presence is with you. You are a baptized, beloved child of God, and that word of promise remains on you forever. The Father who sent the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit to save you has promised you that you are his. His name is on you. You belong to God no matter what may come your way in the next year and beyond. In fact, this is good news for us, not just moving forward, but even as we look back. Because what this baptizing means, what this naming of you means, is that you are one who is a forgiven child of God. That as you look back on the last year, you can look back on that year and you can stamp it with the word forgiven. See, I don't know everything about your last year, but I do know this. You sinned. Probably a lot. 
You failed, you lost, you rebelled, and you sinned. And that's why you come here this morning at the beginning of this new year, bringing these sins with you, confessing these sins, repenting of these sins. And Jesus meets you here again today to take them away, and to tell you all of it is forgiven. That this word of the Lord endures forever. Whatever has gone on in the past year, whatever has happened in 2022, you are forgiven on account of Jesus Christ. The name is on you. He has promised to forgive you, and he will not go back on that promise. That promise endures forever. It forgives your past, and it will sustain you into the new year and beyond. You see, because of Christ's benediction and his baptism, because God's name is upon you, you need not have blind optimism or sort of jaded pessimism. You can look at the world around you and understand the realism of sin and the difficulties that we must face. But even more so, you can face this world with confidence and hope. For you know you have this promise from God forever. That his face shines upon you and he is gracious to you. He looks upon you with his favor and he grants you his peace. He will bless you. And he will keep you. That is the word of God that endures forever. And it endures forever for you. Amen. We pray. Almighty Father, we give you thanks that your word to us is a good word, a forgiving word, and a gracious word. Lord, teach us to trust this word no matter what we might face in the new year. We give you thanks that our sins are forgiven. And now, Lord, as we move in to this next chapter, we pray, God, that you would be with us. Do not leave us nor forsake us. Keep us always in the one true faith into life everlasting. We ask this in Jesus' name.